Good morning everybody. I hope you're all doing well and um, it's nice to be preaching again though I do have to say that I am missing seeing all of your faces. Today we're carrying on with our series on uh, heroes of faith and prayer and I'm going to be sharing about one of my biblical heroes who is a prophet known as Elijah and I'm sure most of you have read his story or are aware of him. Um, he's mainly mentioned in the book of Kings in the Old Testament but he is mentioned throughout the New Testament as well and is in fact one of the three who were involved in the transfiguration on Mount Tabor in the New Testament where he met with Jesus and Moses before Jesus went to Jerusalem. If you don't know his story then don't worry uh, you can read all about him in 1 Kings which is a book in the Old Testament in chapters 17 to 19 and I do recommend you do have a good read of it. We don't have time unfortunately for me to read his whole story today so this is my um, potted, potted summary of the story of Elijah. His name means the Lord is my God and he was a prophet in Israel at the time of King Ahab. He was not a good king. In fact, scripture tells us that he was more wicked than all of the kings that came before him. He did more evil in the eyes of God than any of the others. Ahab had reintroduced idol worship to Israel after his marriage to Jezebel and he brought temple built temples both to Baal and to Asherah. God had had enough of this evil king's behaviour, especially in his leading Israel astray into this worship of false gods. And so enough was enough and God was about to act and his man for the job was the prophet Elijah. The opening salvo was when Elijah was sent with a message to Ahab to tell him that there would be neither rain nor dew falling in Israel for the next few years. In fact, it wouldn't fall again until Elijah spoke and released the rain. This situation continued until there was a grand showdown on Mount Carmel between Elijah uh, a prophet of Yahweh and the, the 400 prophets of Baal. There was a contest of whose God would act and uh, what we see is Yahweh demonstrating his power over the complete ineffectualness of Baal and it was a calling of God's people back to true worship. That's a quick summary, but we actually learn more about Elijah and God in the years between those two events, and that's really what I want to focus on today. When I was younger, I was all about that big showdown, those 400 prophets about trying to get their false god to act by hurting themselves and crying out and dancing with ever more fervour, while Elijah looked on and mocked them. Then Elijah doubles the task by pouring water on the sacrifice and quietly calls out to Yahweh who sends fire from heaven to burn up the water 
and the sacrifice and prove who actually holds the power in Israel. I think this story stood out to me so much when I was younger because I was in a hurry. I wanted God to act now. I wanted him to demonstrate who had the power and who was in charge, who was boss. But as I've got older, it's actually the quieter passages in this story which have touched my heart and my mind and my spirit. They bring both a challenge and a comfort and I think have something to say to us in these strange times that we're living through. So where to begin? It strikes me that it took great courage for Elijah to go and address that king. I think it would be daunting to go and address any powerful figure, one in authority, but to address a king such as Ahab with a message that was a direct confrontation, that took guts. And it's amazing to me that Elijah was so willing to put his life on the line. Basically, he was challenging the king's power. It was God who had the power in Israel. Only God could hold off the rain and only God could release it again. You know, this, it challenges me, especially when God gives me something to say or to speak into a situation that I'd rather avoid. You know, it's something to think about how we face those situations and stay true to God. A refrain you often hear in association with this prophet is, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. I can only surmise that he, as a man of God, spent a lot of time both speaking to God and listening to him. You know, in other words, in prayer. But not only that, we also read that he was obedient to what he heard. Even when that meant something like relying on God to feed him through the ravens when he was sent to the Kerith Valley. Elijah avoids the trap of trying to rationalise everything God says to him. Now don't get me wrong, I greatly believe in the fact that our minds and our brains are part of God's creation and that he expects us to use them in his service. But I'm also aware of some of the pitfalls which we can fall into when we let our minds lead our spirits. I remember once when we were in South Church and we were having a series of hospitality Sundays. The idea was you paired up with another family, one host, one was a guest, and you got to know each other. And we were asked to host a family of five. But I was furious. Nick was out of work at the time, we had no income. And my reaction was not one of my finest moments. Anyway, that night, quietly seething, when I put my eldest two to bed and I was reading the next story in their Bible and it happened to be the story of Elijah. And as I read those stories of God's provision, I had to pause and repent of my poor attitude. I had to ask God for a lot of grace and accept that we were going to be hosting this family. Later that night, my mum, who wasn't a Christian, phoned 
me up and told me that she had brought me this giant leg of lamb. She said she didn't know why because it was far too big. I felt very humbled because I realised that God had actually had it in control all along. I just engaged my brain without engaging my spirit and took a wrong turn. We had a lovely time with that family, by the way. But I learnt something that day that has served me well since, and that is to take a moment and reach out to God in my spirit to listen and then to use my mind in accordance to what his plans and purposes were and not the other way round. Another refrain you often hear with Elijah is, so he did what the Lord had told him. I would love that to be the epitaph of my life. This time that obedience took him to the widow and her son at Serapath. This family were down to their last meal due to the drought when Elijah arrived and asked that he be fed that meal instead. It's outrageous. We wouldn't dream of doing it. But Elijah had already learned about God's provision back in the Kerith Valley with the ravens. So when God said to him that their flour and oil wouldn't run out until the drought was over, he believed. He asked for that outrageous meal, trusting it was the doorway into blessing for that family. In fact, Elijah's faith invited faith alongside it. He invited others to trust. Do we recount and relive what God has done in our lives, I wonder? Sometimes I feel like there's this pressure to not look back to past victories in case we we get stuck there, so to speak. But in truth, we, like Elijah, need to remember what God has already done in our lives because it, it births trust. And as we remember and ponder his goodness, it gives us faith to overcome the future hurdles. I wonder what hurdles are on your path. Maybe as a result of this strange summer, or maybe they would have come along anyway. What stories do you have in your back catalogue which inspire faith and trust? When we talk about the struggles that we're facing, do we equally talk about what God has already done? Do you recount your leg of lamb stories and build up the faith in your families? Back to our story. Elijah continues to live with his family, living on God's blessing until the unthinkable happens. The widow's son dies. We might think, surely they deserve a break. He's been faithful. He's earned it. It's amazing how often that little whisper can creep into our minds, isn't it? We know that we're saved by grace. We know that we can't earn God's favour. And yet something in our psyche still seems to hold on to that sense of entitlement for others, if not for ourselves. You know, I'm sure that's why Jesus calls us to lay down our lives daily and pick up our cross. But I digressed. 
Elijah gets no such break. The boy has died, and faced with the grief of the widow, he takes his sorrow to God. He asks why, but then, rather than to wallow, he cries out to God to intervene. Nothing happens. He prays again. Still, nothing happens. It's on his third cry that the Lord acts, restoring the boy to life. It can be so easy to think at times that God hasn't heard our prayers or, or hasn't answered our prayers and we stop crying out to him. We might say to ourselves, oh well, it's not in God's plan. And that might be true. We might slip into old ways of thinking and, and say that he doesn't care enough, which is never true. And sometimes it might simply be that we've given up and stopped crying out too soon. Maybe like Elijah, we need to cry out a third time. The time for the big showdown has come. Elijah is again sent to address Ahab and Israel are challenged to walk in the ways of the world or in the ways of God. They can no longer prevaricate and help them decide God demonstrates his power in contrast to that ineffectualness of Baal. It ends in victory and Elijah declares that rain is coming. In fact, in scripture we see that he gets quite worried. He sends his servant out seven times looking to see if a cloud has appeared in the sky. When it does, the rains fall and the drought is over. You'd think Elijah would be riding high after such a victory, but rather he receives a death threat from Jezebel in retribution for beating the prophets of Baal. And he ran for his life and hid. He had had enough. He was at the end of his tether. He had nothing left to give. There is something strangely comforting in knowing he wasn't perfect after all, and even more in how God responded to that. There was no rebuke, but rather tenderness, provision and rest. When Elijah was feeling sorry for himself and thinking he was the only man of God left, still there was no rebuke, but rather the gift of God's presence and the comfort of knowing there were others standing with him. Refreshed, Elijah was sent out once again, still hearing and still being obedient. He anointed kings and trained up his successor, and that involves another raft of stories. If you're tired and weary, ask God for his comfort and his rest. If you're in financial need, ask for his provision. If you're facing hurdles, remember his faithfulness in the past. And if you're at the end of your tether, take time in his presence. If you've never chosen to walk in God's ways, but are feeling prompted to do so today, tell him, invite him in, and then make contact with us or with another Christian you know. If you've made a commitment to God before, but have been prevaricating between God's ways and the world's, it's time to choose. 
just turn your face back to him and invite him in. But don't be like Elijah and think you're in it on your own, whatever your circumstances. Ask for support. We're family and we're here and are called to look out for one another. Thank you. Take care.